Hey, what's up? Thanks for checking out the Patriots and Saints podcast. We are Chris, Randy, and Joe, and we're going to go around and do a few introductions so you know a little bit about our background, um, who we are, why you may or may not care what we have to say. I'm Joe. I was raised a fundamentalist homeschool Christian. I'm very much not that now. Uh, depending on when you get me, I'm some combo of agnostic, atheist, socialist, anarchist, um, and I'm a avid fan of punk and hardcore music and psychedelic drugs. Hi, I'm Chris. I'm not a fan of psychedelic drugs. Uh, I'm a Mormon. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a CPA. I'm an outdoorsman, and I consider myself well would probably be described as a hybrid of conservative and libertarian. Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Randy. I'm an evangelical Christian who started to move some towards Catholicism. I'm a husband and father of two. 23andMe says I'm mostly sub-Saharan African, but I'm about 30% European. I love fitness, music, and art. And I think Joe looks best with long hair and Chris would look sharp with a mustache. So we became friends talking about pretty much everything we weren't supposed to at work. Religion, politics, you name it. Anything sensitive if we were talking about it. So now we get together at least once a month to duke it out, respectfully of course, over all these topics and more. These are those conversations. Well, gentlemen, good to see you all. Yep, likewise. likewise. So, all right, so we've got we've got a few things to talk about today. Um, COVID is just taking over the country, taking over the world actually this year. Um, first heard about it in December, I think, um, you know, in China, and now like our life is like completely changed. So going to hit that we'll talk about you know the news of this week the the white coat summit and the america frontline doctors and everything they had to say um we'll also move in to the schools what are the kids going to do what are the parents going to do um we'll also talk about some relief um from there we'll touch on george floyd in the aftermath um we'll talk about the boston bomber who's whose sentence to death was overturned. So let's start with COVID. All right, big news this week. Um, hydroxychloroquine, um, Chris's favorite drug, um, had some promise. <laughs> I'm not even uh, married yet, though, so let's, let's make that clear. It's very far <laughs> down saying? on my list of favorite drugs. <laughs> Chris made it clear he did not like To, to, to be clear, I'm not a user at this point in time. <laughs> Say that again, Chris. Sorry, I said just to be clear, I have I'm not a user at least at this point in time. <laughs> All right, well, that'd be a good thing because we have no convincing evidence that uh, this is actually a cure or a preventative drug, as Dr. Stella Emanuel said earlier this week in the White Coat Summit. Um, so obviously, that caused a ruffle of a lot of feathers. Um, we saw the, the video uploaded by Breitbart. I think, Chris, you shared the video with me first. Um, I should have watched it because it was gone within like 
hours afterward. So, Chris, did, did you watch the video? Yeah, I watched the whole thing. I okay, can't believe tell, we've tell been going about, back and forth for so long. You didn't even watch the video. I didn't have a chance. <laughs> like, what are we talking I about? Like, <laughs> I was. You're knocking it before you tried by, it. I was. I was turned off by who the news source was. First of all. Um, I'm not going to say alt-right, but far-right news source um, where it just, it didn't have the standards that I would expect for this type of news to be coming from. So you watch the video, I guess there was, it went viral. There are millions of viewers that did, but if you didn't catch it the first day, you missed it. So what did you hear from that video that you loved? What, like, what did you like? What did you not like? Tell us about that video, Chris. Yeah. So I, I mean, the video itself, it had, I mean, then there was probably like 15 to 20 doctors there. I assume they were doctors given, you know, the group's name is American Frontline Doctors. Um, probably only six or seven of them actually spoke. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there was a whole kind of range of different, you know, doctors there. Some were at like medical schools, uh, one of the gentlemen was a University of California professor. And it, he, to be fair, he did make it clear that, you know, what they were talking about were um, his, you know, in his personal, you know, opinion and in his experience, it wasn't anything reflective of, you know, an endorsement of the university or anything like that. Um, and they had, you know, some private practice people, some people that were in hospitals. Uh, the really inflammatory doctor was, um, Stella from from Houston, <laughs> uh, the Katy area, I believe. Uh, yeah. Or Joe. Or Joe yeah, grew up. My stomping grounds. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, but yeah, yeah. So they they basically talked about. I, I will say, uh, you know, I I didn't focus as much on the whole like cure thing, but, you know, and I had kind of been reading up on some of the drugs that you know people have uh, come out and said you know, show promise in terms of treating um, people with, uh, you know, that have severe um, reaction to the the Kung flu. Um, and uh, that's, the probably, Kung flu. that's my favorite, that's my favorite uh, Trump coronavirus um, you know, <laughs> nickname, if you will, the Kung flu. Um, we might get banned from podcasts for me saying that. Um, but uh, yeah, so there's a handful of drugs. There's there's hydrochloroquine. There's chloroquine. There's uh, rems remsdivir. I can't say them all. And then there's some other drug that starts with a B that also is beyond my ability to pronounce. To pronounce. Um, but uh, you know they were obviously focused on the hydrochloroquine. And uh, you know Stella came out and out of the gates pretty hot, um, and you know was saying that pretty we already strong, we, ha pretty we have strong. a cure. You know we cure. don't need to we don't need to be making all these other drugs or whatever. And um, yeah, I would I definitely agree. It's it's not a cure. Um, it's not a vaccine. Um, the drug is, and the other drugs that have demonstrated that they can help. Um, uh, they're antiviral drugs. Hydrochloroquine, in, in particular, is primarily used to treat malaria and other sim similar viral infections. Um, and they have been treating people with it all over the country. There's been uh, a host of studies um, on it. Some have said that it 
didn't show any significance uh, in helping and others, you know, have. Um, and so, but the, the controversy, I think more swirls around, you know, her saying, we have a cure, we don't need them to develop other drugs. And um, I think it got really blown out of proportion in terms of the response um, saying that they have a cure. But um, I think anybody that reads about it is kind of like, okay, well, we don't have a cure. Um, but, and we don't have a vaccine, but we have drugs that can, uh, I mean, re really what it is, is the, the virus, the symptoms that the virus causes, right? Trouble breathing is eventually what kills people, right? And the drug helps, I guess, reduce the severity of those symptoms, right? So it, it kind yeah. of attacks the virus in a way that makes it less um, potent. Yeah. And uh, anyways. Yeah, no, no, that, no, that's what that's what the video focused on. Um, I think the controversy, um, you know, was around the way she kind of framed it. Well, which I'm like, probably yeah, I can't see the video anymore, but I'm looking yeah, at it's been taken down from your, your favorite source, Chris Prager, you tweeting the thumbnail and the thumbnail has a quote from the video that says, we don't need to die. There is a cure for COVID. So that right. seems pretty like black and white. On what well, we definitely don't need to die, but we <laughs> definitely don't have a cure either. Right. And so, and so, Joe, what do you think about President Trump? You may not know, but he retreated or excuse me, retweeted yeah. the video um, of this misinformation from, you know, the, we know there are other doctors there, you know, but this was a, a planned um, video. No one knew about it. Um, apparently, from what I've read, these this America frontline doctors were just put together two weeks before this this conference. Um, and so obviously, Chris, to your point, Stella came out hot saying that we have a cure. Um, we have um, we have a preventative measure um, for this uh for this drug that's been it's impacted the whole world trump came out and supported this drug like from the jump and so with all that being said we know he's how do you feel about trump spreading misinformation through twitter me that's a question you. to me that's you joe yeah i mean i would prefer not the spread of misinformation by twitter I can be pretty concise on that one. <laughs> I mean, well, I don't know. There was a big uproar about like, and Chris, I think you're more upset about this, about, you know, people being censored, quote unquote. But this is like just people can argue about if it's helping or not, but about like misinformation that's just wrong where people are in desperate times. This is cool. We've got a doctor up here that says there's a cure. I mean, I guess I do, like, I, I feel like it's uh, very irresponsible of Trump to be retweeting that just because he is in a, a place of leadership. And, and I'm not saying I, you know, I have read some of the actual studies done on hydroxychloroquine. There, Most that I have seen have said that there is not conclusive evidence that it is helpful, but they have all just been retrospective um, analysis of cases. There have not been, um, you know, clinical trials. Though yeah. Chris did find one more recently that did it, 
the study showed there are benefits to it. Again, it wasn't a clinical trial, so I don't know. I'm not saying that it doesn't work. I do think it's irresponsible as the president to be tweeting things that say it definitively does work. Uh, but I also, I, I don't know, it, it feels more like that's on the president to me too. Like, I'm a little pissed off. I can't just go watch the video right now. Like, why the hell can't I go see the video? Yeah, yeah, I think that like I, I, people need to be able to watch it and judge for themselves, right? I, I think like I watched it and I'm even like, yeah, there's not a cure, you know. But Chris, can, that's the point, though, right? There's no judging on the cure. It's they like these doctors have basically catfished the country, right? They people trust that if you're a doctor, you're going to say something that's right. You know, we're not medical professionals, so if you've got a doctor going live to the country and saying right. that there is a cure you can we can prevent this virus you know but, like but you randy there's misinformation all over the internet i mean i can go on the internet right now and find something that tells me you know the water's turning the frogs gay like dude but that hasn't changed I, I, the country forever though that hasn't changed but, the world. no like, but so you but you want Twitter. I mean, it's just a matter of who is controlling the information, right? Like, I don't know. I don't do what. Say that again. You want Twitter to control what you can and can't see? Like, they do. I'm fine with them keeping it off their platform, but like, how is this video not even available on the entirety of the internet now? Like, that's kind of you can find it. You can find it on a subreddit. But to your point. Twitter has the ability to take down something on their private website that's not correct. Yeah, but it's yeah. disappeared I mean, from the internet. The, yeah, the internet. Like, can't I can't find the, the video. They I can't find the video anywhere. But maybe well, I, I bet you could probably find it on subreddit. <laughs> so I so my other thing is so I've read you know other stuff about hydroxychloroquine and I you know I can't scientifically discuss it by any means, but I. It is interesting to note that the president of the United States, whose health is more closely monitored than probably anybody else in the country, is as a preventative measure taking this drug, right? I mean, his doctor is like, you know, the attorney, the assistant, the attorney, uh, surgeon general, sorry, um, like, right? So he has like these, like, presumably the most competent and experienced um, medical personnel in the country looking after his health and they're comfortable with him taking hydroxychloroquine as a preventative measure, right? And so, I mean, why can't we have access to what the doctors are saying at a minimum and judge for ourselves and be like, hey, maybe I wanna get on hydroxychloroquine. I mean, it's good enough for the president, isn't it good enough for me? Well, Chris, you do have access, though, right? You just have to go to the doctor to get. You can't just and go. Everyone else to like Walmart, it, right? And and get so they pull it off the, the internet, and then other people, you know, can't. I disagree with you there a little bit, Chris, because I don't know. Trump always has these doctors from God knows where saying he's like the most healthy, smart individual on the face of the planet, and they're also apparently comfortable with him eating hamburgers for like six meals a day and like i don't i don't know if like trump's health is something i want to use to measure 
<laughs> like but, the yeah, if the, if the drug was not safe in the context of, you know, coronavirus, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, you know, if you have a good doctor, they're going to be, if you want to take it, you can take it. There's not a lot of science behind it. They're going to, you know, let you do what you want, right? It's your choice. But it just, to me, I don't like it when they completely wipe something from the internet. I can't go and judge for myself. And at the same time, they're all saying, don't use this drug. It hasn't been proven. But then, you know, the elites of the world, the people in power, it's like, well, you know, they might be, you know, taking it just to, you know, added insurance against coronavirus. It's like, well, what about everyone else? So. Okay, a couple things. There are prescribed drugs, though, Chris. I mean, this is not like a secret. The, the, the hospitals are using it, like, at the doctor's discretion, just like any other drug that people have to get a prescription for. There's, like, I, I don't know what you're, like, equating it to. Like, that, that's, like, a common practice. That's nothing new. Right, but what they're doing is they're, they're, they're whitewashing people coming out and saying, hey, this has proven to be, or has I won't say proven, this has demonstrated to be effective in helping people fight the virus that are infected. Right, right. That, but I, I wouldn't, why would you frame it as whitewashing, though? It's not, we, you just admitted that it's not a cure. You just admitted it. we don't know that it's a preventative measure. So we, of course, we don't want people going around telling everybody that this is the cure like Dr. Emanuel did, right? I think that you can put the video out there, like Twitter, instead of wiping it off, they can say, look, they can disclaim it and say, hey, it's claimed to be a cure. There's nothing that says it can't, can't be a cure, right? That They have different ways they tag things where it's like, hey, this is not verified, but you know, we're posting it anyway, and you know, stuff like that. Like, I think, I think that it should be out there for people to see and they don't need to take it down. Right. I, I think that people need to know that like, Hey, there's drugs that can help with this. It's not a cure. Right. And yeah, but I think, I think people know that. Right. I think people know that the president Trump's been saying talking about it for months. We've got Fox news that's been supporting it for at least a month or so now um, and there's just discussion that's on it right I think the issue is on the video there's you have doctors claiming it's a cure and it you know it, it that just goes to a power you know kind of topic Twitter Facebook Instagram you know YouTube though they have the power right so and it's their private platform so if you're gonna do something that violates their policies and have to keep it up and then you're just out of luck because no one's gonna be able to find your stuff um, you know, well, and I, I, I just don't understand why they're drawing the line there. Like just about every one of Trump's tweets is misinformation. So I don't understand why we're going to stop at hydroxychloroquine, but I, I don't that's, know. I a, think that's it's, a different topic. It's clear to me because of the magnitude of the issue, right? I mean, we have not seen anything like this. Our parents didn't see anything like what's going on with COVID. So well, I, think I mean, that's claiming there's like mass it's such voter a fraud to the point that like elections are not reliable is like. Anyways, a, let's a move on. Let's talk about school. Too. So we got all this crap going on with COVID, and we're in the fall, or we're about to approach the fall, and so school's starting. And so, at least here in Cypress, Texas, um, and Houston, Texas, in general, um, the, the students have a, or the, the parents have a choice whether to either do at home virtual learning or in school um, 
learning. Um, Which, so let, let me preface is if you've gone out and read what they've said virtual is, it's, it's garbage. Like if you thought that the regular school was kind of, you know, the bare minimum, this is kind of, I guess, raising the bar in terms of like poor quality of education. <laughs> Well, hold on. So, what what did you not like about it? I know people don't have it in front of them right yeah, now. So, but so, I look so, at it, yeah, so yeah, like side by side, pretty much the same thing. It, well, so so yeah, I th I think to to frame this right. So basically, what virtual learning is is you have to you know you complete assignments in various ways, whether it's like taking a picture of you doing the assignment or submitting the assignment online. But you have a certain number of hours that you have to complete of like virtual online classroom time, which is essentially the teacher has a camera in the classroom and you're logged in with your face in front of your camera for a certain number of hours, right? And it, that's essentially the criteria is like you have to be in quote unquote the classroom for you know four hours, five hours, whatever it is, right? Um, and then assignments you're kind of completing on your own. Um, and so it's a little difficult to, de to describe completely in detail, but we did, it's essentially an extended version of what happened in Texas and in the Cypher School District and in a lot of school districts in Texas from March to the end of the school year. And it was like highly ineffective and you know, it just, it, it didn't accomplish a whole lot. And quite frankly, it accomplishes even less when their kids don't have adequate at-home support in terms yeah. of getting the learning done. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Um, and I think that's one of the big issues about it. If you don't have the support system at home, um, like a parent who could actually like monitor you. Now, I think that just depends on the age range, right? Like high school students, junior high, probably as well don't need, you know, close supervision, but at least kids, you know, Chris, you're in ours age, um, six, seven, you know, an eight year old range, um, you know, they, they need someone kind of monitoring them. And so I think fortunately enough, like we're kind of in a situation where, you know, we'll be okay, but you know, what about the single parent, right? How do they manage, you know, that or both parents working? Um, you know, Joe, I know you don't have kids, but you know, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on just <clears throat> sending the kids back to school in the masses um, when we've been, you know, practicing, you know, social distancing for so long now. Yeah, I mean, I'd be kind of jealous of them that they're actually going to get to go out into the world. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I get that. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I think it. I think it could have some interesting effects, maybe, you know, like, um, I don't know. I could see how it could be like sort of a privilege thing to, uh, be able to keep them at home and do the virtual learning thing. Um, you know, so I could see how, but I could also see, uh, you know, maybe more of the conservative it seems like more of a conservative view that covid isn't that big of a deal um don't put that on us <laughs> well, it is, i mean in general right i mean 
Is that it's like a, an inflammatory statement? I, mean, I don't think so. You're kind of an anarchist, Joe, so isn't this the I, best way to kind of hit reset? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I love it. It could be like some crazy results. You know, you could end up with like some very poor, disadvantaged kids who have a single parent home who are just sending them to school because they can't deal with it mixed with, you know, some conservatives and I think even some of the like more wealthier uh, parts of society kind of skew more conservative and I think tend to think that COVID isn't that big of a deal. So I think you could have some like weird, like mixing of results from this maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just say, I don't think it has anything to do with ideology. Um, I think it's more, I mean, I, I can, yeah, I can name off some conservatives I know who, you know, don't care, but I mean, I consider myself conservative and, you know, our plan is to keep, Calvin at least at home and do yeah uh, I know but like care. as a like a bigger thing of course you can point to like the individual like I'm a liberal and I don't really think it's that big of a deal so there are exceptions to the rule but in general like all the conservatives are yelling that it's fake and it's liberals trying to like screw Trump and the economy over and all the liberals are saying it's like the the worst thing to ever happen to the world and it's going to kill us all and hide your kids and hide your wives and never leave your house again. <laughs> so, so, so like, so our, our daughter, she's going back to school. She wants to go back to school. Everything we've read has said that the risk is very low for kids to even if they get the virus to transmit it to other kids or to adults, right? And she wants to go back to school. And so we're letting her go back to school, right? We, we, you know, told her that, you know, they're making you wear masks all day and kind of explain that it's going to be different and stuff. And, you know, she was fine with that. Um, but, uh, so she's going back to school and, you know, we're not, we're not worried about it. Um, the risk is pretty low. Um, I think that, one thing that has been bugging me is, you know, people are back, you know, going to, you know, their kids sporting events now, at least out by us, going to the store without any hindrance and going to the parks and the pools and the water parks. And so when I hear the teachers say, well, what about us? It's dangerous. It's like, well, I don't know. The grocery store workers have been doing pretty good since March. <laughs> you don't see them dropping off and they interact with a whole, you know, diverse group of people more so than the repetitive <laughs> people that you're seeing every day, right? And so given that kids don't transmit this very easily as the data currently shows, like I'm well done hearing that, oh, we fear for our lives. It's like, well, I mean, imagine if the grocery store workers said we fear for our lives, we're not going to school. It's like, it would have been complete chaos, right? I mean, like it just, no. it needs to go on. Like society needs to get moving again. Um, and so, and quite frankly, I don't want to be paying teachers a salary if they ain't teaching my kids. Chris, I don't think that's fair, man. I mean, just because like grocery store workers aren't publicized, like, you know, your stars or your athletes, doesn't mean like they're not getting sick. I mean, they can die just as well as anybody else. Anybody uh, can. I mean, they, they just don't necessarily have a voice or a platform like the people that I think we more commonly hear about. Um, I mean, the nurses you hear about all the time, they're the ones on the front lines. Um, and, and at the greatest heard, risk, right? I mean, they're going into where the sick people are. Right? I know, I hear you. But I've heard plenty of people that work in these industries, you know, 
have concerns for the risk. I'm sure you've been in the grocery store lately. They have like shields like in front of like the glass, the wearing mask, all that stuff. I mean, I don't know if the teachers are going to have shields um, around their desk and some of the same precautions. Um, if, they, if they do that, the kids won't want to go to school because I mean, okay, well, yeah, and so that's going to look like contagion is, or something. Some weird Hollywood. Yeah, well, that's where the question lies, though. Are we ready to go to school, right? Or are the teachers, you know? I think they have legit concerns. Like they, I mean, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say they are putting, they're putting their lives at risk just like anybody else. And I mean, um, but that's, that's a key phrase, just like everyone else, right? They're not at any more risk than the construction workers, the grocery store workers, probably substantially less risk than the nurses and the doctors. Right. I mean, everyone's going back to work. Right. No, 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 but we don't have to do this though, Chris. That There's a difference between essential and non-essential workers. And there's a difference between how we're able to work. Like we haven't been to the office since like middle of March, right? And we're still able to effectively do our job from home. The kids, they've got a platform. They have a plan on what they can do virtually. And that's going to be the backup plan. They've said if something does happen. But it's pretty they've said They've said like if, if, you know, there's a spread or something like that, they're going to go to virtual. Right, so they have to have an effective plan on how to make it work. Well, so that's fine to have that's a plan. Distinguish. Well, Sorry, I mean, I think that if they get going and there's no spike, then I mean, right, right. But that's a separate. I mean, I think it's a separate topic, right? I mean, we're talking about can you? Do you have to do that? Do you have to go back to that environment? I don't. I think the answer is no. You well, have what about? I mean, there process. there are kids that. Uh, you know, not necessarily in our school district, but you talk about like HISD. Most of those kids live in poverty, right? I mean, what about the well general well-being of those kids? I mean, most of them get fed at school, most of their meals, right? Most of them probably live in really, you know, shoddy circumstances, you know, where there's abuse and other things going on. So we're just going to leave them there too, right? No, no, no. School we're smart. A lot of kids getting away from home is a good thing, right? That saves a lot of kids. And while it might not necessarily be the norm out here for us in the suburbs, right? The inner city, I mean, that's all kids eat sometimes. I mean, what, I mean, like there's other health aspects associated with staying shut inside especially hundred percent agree Chris but just like everyone else we have to deal with it though right I mean like the risk is you know other people are gonna get sick and other people are gonna die um, so I get that like yes ideally everyone wants all the kids everyone wants to go back to doing everything normal right but I think the question just lies like are we ready and are can we effectively like come up with ways to you know help people who are in need right because I mean you say that you're conservative so that would generally mean that you like decisions to be made locally or as small as circles as possible, right? Like we're not in the inner city, right? So that's not, I mean, that's something that, you know, that's something they need to be working on and we can help them with that. But like, that's not a, that's not a concern of the general population of where we live. So to your point, like, why do, why do we need to go back? Well, yeah, but we're we're kind of addressing, we have to address this more broadly, right? I mean, Joe lives in Houston. I mean, he's not not going to be, like to I me, think that we're getting too narrow when we talk about just sci-fi. I think like more broadly, like are we going to school? Or are we not? Right? If we get down into like what individual districts are doing, I mean that's not really. Yeah. And well, okay. to me, Probably. I I agree with you, Chris. Like the teachers are no more at risk than 
any of the essential workers that have been doing this since it all started. To me, the only like remotely interesting part of this, because I agree, like a, a private school, yeah, it's a private school, whatever. If they decide they're going back, they're going back. If you like it, teach there. If you don't, don't. The only like complicating factor here to me are public schools. That's like, that's a little different than essential workers, right? Because that's a government. I don't know, can the government, should the government be telling you that you have to go and teach in-person classes? Right. Is, is so, to me where there's any distinction in any of this. <laughs> I agree yeah, so with we you, can take this. Yeah, there have been people doing it forever, like get over it, but the government aspect throws a little bit of a kink in it to me. No, I don't know what the answer is. In the but. unions. So, so we can take a step back on this. So we can just differentiate between, you know, suburbs and inner city, right? Because yeah, we're talking locals. That's where we live local. But you can we can easily step that out to suburbs and inner city because they're going to generally have the same issues. So I think it's fine that we're talking about specifics, but it's kind of generally applies. I mean, I think the difference is I don't think it's a get over it, Joe. I mean, like it wasn't get over it like when we're working from home, right? I mean, we, we brought everyone home. so But it is. Yeah, that's our that's company, it. Randy. But I'm like Amazon didn't but, do that. There are tons of companies that aren't doing that. We're fortunate that our company does, I guess, if you think this is a big deal. but No, I mean, Amazon headquarters did. I mean, yeah, they still got people on out working because that was deemed essential, right? There's a difference between like, them coming up with what we have to have to continue oh, instruction. You're boiling it down to is in-classroom instruction essential or not? Yes. It's not like, it's not just, oh, the grocery, the grocery store works have to do with this. Everyone should have to deal with this. No. That, that, that decision was made because it was essential. Like, you need food. That's why that decision was made. Right? I think there's a key difference between essential and not essential. Right. Well, are we even in an essential, non-essential thing now? I don't think yeah. so. You I don't. Like, I don't either. We're out of that. I, I just want to say this: like when there was, when you think back, when I think back to to college, right? When there was a class that was offered in an online format and an in classroom format. I don't know about you guys, but I always went online because it was always easier and you had way less work to do. So it was, I mean, it's not as effective, at least yet. Do we have the tools to execute online learning? Absolutely. Have we gotten to a point where it's effective? I don't think so. I don't but know what, if we have evidence of that, Chris. What, I mean, a lot of we, people like go to school online. A lot of people like, I don't, I mean, we can talk about a study. I don't know if you have something that you've looked at. It's not as no, I, I just think, I think we beat this to death. I, I think we just, I, one thing I'm thinking is, you know, as we kind of go through these, I think we should each just, you know, one sentence say where we land, right? So that, you know, because we kind of go back and forth, back and forth, and there's not like a lot of resolution to this. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, we should move on to kind of phase four so we can kind of yeah. keep things rolling. Um, okay. Well, but about, what about our one sentence where we stand? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, okay. I think we, we go around and <laughs> at least like individually, like say where we, where we end up. Cause then, you know, you know, when we have our millions of listeners and we're living off royalties, <laughs> you know, they listen to, they listen to our discussion, the, the, the pros and cons and, you know, we can at least give, you know, the Chris, the Chris fans, some resolution where he lands. The Joe fans, the anarchists, some resolution where he lands. You know, and Randy Smith, 
you know, where they land and everybody, everybody's, you know, gets validated. Good luck figuring out where Randy Smith lands. <laughs> I think I've been very clear. And so, in, in forever, yeah, so in what's your, what's off. your sentence, Randy? Okay. All right. So let's move on to the phase four. Um, Randy's not giving like, a take. <laughs> He's refusing. We, 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 we have a segment on it. Like we have a segment. Let's just, we'll move on. And right. Joe, has I guess I, I concluded that one. We're moving to phase edit four. all this out. Okay. <laughs> ad hoc meeting in the middle of the live episode. <laughs> Randy's just afraid to get pinned down on a, on a position. <laughs> All right, phase four legislature. Um, all right, so senators and congressmen or, or House representatives are trying to get together and, and come up with new phase to the CARES Act, or excuse me, a new CARES Act. Um, they're trying to essentially keep most of the stuff they had from last time, but one of the things um, that's up for discussion is overall budget. It, they're trying to get it down, or at least the proposed is $1 trillion. They're, they're trying to get it down lower than that. And then they're also trying to tweak some programs. Um, so we're still expecting a stimulus, um, but unemployment is being negotiated. It may not be the extra 600 it may be the $200. Um, obviously, a few other things. Um, what are y'all's thoughts on just, you know, general COVID relief? Do we need this? Is it necessary? Is it, is it even helping? Uh, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I, yeah, I, I think it should be passed. I think there are very small aspects of it that are helping people, um, like my friend who, uh, got laid off, she's been really stressed out because her, you know, as of Friday, her additional unemployment ended. Um, unless they do something else on Monday. Um, but also, I mean, I think just like all the, all relief packages, I think for the most part, it's like a huge boondoggle and it's trillions because it's given a bunch to a bunch of bailouts to a bunch of big companies and corporations that in my opinion, shouldn't be getting it. Um, so they want to get the budget down. You know, I think, cut a bunch of that stuff out but yeah. that's not gonna happen um yeah so I, I don't like it but yeah i know there are some pieces of it that people are depending on so yeah i guess uh, Chris, it. what do you think yeah so i mean same with uh, cares act and the the follow-on um legislation that happened i mean it's it's a nature of the way things work, but you know obviously they have to come to a compromise. The <laughs> Senate, you know, the majority lies with the Republicans, and you know obviously the White House, the um, executive, also in the hands of the Republican Party, and uh, the House or the House representatives being with the Democrats. I think we end up with a lot of crap, you know, that we don't need, and is quite wasteful just for the sake of compromise um uh on unemployment i think that the approach is probably flawed i think that it needs to be more it needs to be funded in a way that um incentivizes people to go back to work so 
you know, I think the issue is it's like, well, some people are making more on unemployment than they were working and, you know, other people obviously don't make enough. Um, and I think that, you know, some sort of approach should be taken where it, you know, is a percentage of what you were making if you were laid off from COVID rather than a blank check, right? And I understand that, you know, they don't want to disincentivize people to work by them making more money on unemployment. Um, and on the same token, right, people, they need food and other other things. Um, but so I think the approach is flawed. Um, I think that the, you know, obviously what is trying to be accomplished is is good in terms of the corporate bailouts. Yeah, similar to the, the financial crisis, um, I'm not a big believer in uh, too big to fail. And I think that especially for the large corporations like the airlines and, and what have you, um, any assistance they should, they should be given should be strictly to um, fund wages and salaries and stuff, not um, anything else, right? I think that, yeah. uh, that that's flawed yeah. logic because we've also seen where you know, they get the, they get the loans and stuff. And then, you know, right after they secured the loans, it's like, ah, oh, we, we just can't do it. We got to furlough more people, you know, or we got to do some layoffs. And that, you know, it was kind of like, you just got like hundreds of billions of dollars from the taxpayers and you're yeah. laying everyone off, you know? And so I think that uh, I, I disagree with the, with the bailout, bailouts to the extent that they go beyond helping keep people employed. Yeah, it's it's complex. I think um, there's a lot of um, you know kind of noise around the I guess the small business loan. Um, a lot of like high profile um, entertainers and just individuals in general um, have like side businesses. You know, like um, Tom Brady, Floyd Mayweather. I think to name a, a few, um, both received um, small business loans. And for their, in, like their separate businesses, right? And so there, there came this question of like, do they need this, right? Should this be going to other people type thing? And I think it's tricky, right? Cause I mean, I think, you know, when these guys are crafting up, you know, um, legislation, you know, we have a job to a certain extent because of things that they miss, right? Or things that they're not considering or all the, like the things that they put in there that someone has to go figure out what the heck they're talking about. Um, so it's tricky, right? Um, I, cause I look at my own self, right? And it's like, okay, well, do I actually need this? Right? Well, I, I don't know. Like I could use, I mean, definitely use the money, right? Are there other people who are in more need? Absolutely. Um, you know, and so it. I feel like it's, I don't know how they come up with, you know, who gets what. And I think that may have been the approach of, okay, like, there's so many different complex situations, like depending on who you work for, you know, that type of thing. What are, what benefits is this company doing versus your neighbor's company? I think that's why they land on the 600 or the kind of the, and the, the flat, I also call it flat amount for unemployment and um, the stimulus. So that's why I don't have too much of a problem with it because I understand the complexities. It probably could, could have been written a lot better, Chris, but I think just due to the necessity of getting something passed quickly because all people in need, I think there just may not, have been and have been just in general enough time to really dive into the details. Yeah, yeah, sure. I just think that, you know, if you call the CARES Act a Band-Aid, right, it was you quickly passed to, you know, help as quickly as possible. You know, it's, it plugged the big holes in the sinking ship, if you will. I would expect 
shortcomings to be addressed in any phase four, right? I mean, right yeah. now it kind of sounds like they're almost trying to cookie cutter it, you know, with very few tweaks and, you know, in this case, taking 600 to 200. And it's like, well, I think, you know, before, before we tack another trillion onto the 26 trillion, we're already in the hole. Like, you know, can we circle back and see what went well, what didn't, yeah. but you know, there, it sounds like they're going to cookie cutter it, you know, and honestly, it irritates me that they're like, well, we got to get it done before we go on recess. It's like, oh, well, yeah, let's, uh, you guys just go on recess while everybody's shut at home and out of work. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they're always I, about to go on recess. Like <laughs> every, all the time. I, I know this is like beyond like the relief, but that's keeps, that's the headlines. It's like, well, Every we'll, single we'll, time. we'll see if we can get it passed before recess. That's the big pressure. It's like, really? You're going to go on recess and there's supposedly a global pandemic killing everyone. And it's like, well, we got to go on recess. It's like, oh, well, heaven forbid, like working a little overtime, like the rest of America. <laughs> no, it's funny. I see, uh, I see like Trump will like, it's just a random like news article, but it'll show him like going to the golf course. But man, it's like Friday evening. I just wish like I just had like, you know, plans lined up every weekend. I'm just, I'm gone. Like I don't have to worry about anyone bugging me with any work stuff, you know, no emails coming through. And then I just go back to work, you know, Monday, like, you know, just had a, like a real weekend. Like that'd be awesome. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and for office, apparently you'll get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's move on. Let's talk about George Floyd. Um, Obviously, everyone knows who George Floyd is right now. Um, the um, African American male who was, uh, you know, basically choked to death, um, you know, on, on video for over eight minutes. An officer had his knee on his neck, um, and then uh, George eventually died in the hospital. And it's, that video, I think, um, you know, I don't want to say changed the world or changed America, uh, but it definitely um, got people's attention. Um, and there's been a lot of discussion about just um, how to change people's viewpoints and how we need to view um, racial and social injustice going forward. And so um, a result of that were um, a lot of protests and a lot of riots. Um, so we've seen them kind of go both different directions. Um, wanted to get you guys take, um, you know, now or you know, months after the event, um, just on, you know, protests with maybe let's talk protests riots in general and then we can talk about the results so chris i know you had some some thoughts on the protest or i guess more or less the riots and joe you're more of an anarchist so maybe you can hit that as well so i'll, I'll start with you chris uh protests i mean okay so i think a good example of what would be appropriate is what largely what happened in houston right i think the, and joe went I mean, I didn't see anything about burning buildings getting burnt down. I still think a message was sent. Um, <clears throat> when it turns into what's happening in Portland or Minneapolis, um, I hold no pause or reservation with the tear gas and the rubber bullets coming out. I mean, I don't think that it is appropriate in any circumstance um, for people to be burning down other people's property. And I don't care if it's, mom and pop or target, um, you know? And so that's kind of where I stand on the, on the pro protest. I think there's a, there's a very acceptable and important place that it has in our society. And it has demonstrated that it is important. Um, 
in our past. And so I, a hundred percent think that people need to be able to do that. Um, but I also don't have any problems with the heavy hand coming out when people get out of line and really break the law because that's what they're doing. Yeah. Joe riots thoughts. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, obviously there are issues when there's large scale law breaking. I get it. Um, to me, I just don't, to me, the government has a history of, um, exerting too much, uh, power in general. And like, to me, I don't know. I've softened a little bit on it because I do feel like a lot of it is just a lot of the kind of protest stuff is getting turned into just sort of a, I don't know, like a, a glamour sort of like virtue signaling thing by a lot of people. Um, so I don't know. To me right now, the bigger thing is, uh, you know, like, the government detaining journalists uh, like in Portland, them collecting and like building dossiers on journalists. Uh, that kind of stuff is what's scary to me and I think is pretty nuts to be doing in America right now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, at this stage in the game, like, I can understand the riots. I mean, I, I don't agree with, you know, destroying anyone's property or hurting anyone or anything like that. Um, I understand why um, people are upset and why they may feel like that may be the right thing to do. Um, but, you know, but I feel like that, I would expect that more as an almost like reaction. Like, so, you know, George Floyd's death happened in late May, May 25th, I think. Um, and here we are in, in August. And so, Chris, you mentioned, you know, it was going on Portland, Minneapolis. And, yeah, it's you know, like three protests. Now. Yeah, protests still should be going on, peaceful protests, all that stuff. But I think the rioting and, and stuff of that nature, uh, maybe, Joe, more to your point, it's like, okay, why is that still going on? Like, I mean, I, I understand people are still upset. We do not want this, the momentum that, I think has, has come from this to, to slow down. Right. But we don't want, um, you know, destruction. We don't want like war, you know, you know, we just, we want to, to move for equality. Right. And I don't, you know, I understand, I would expect more of that to be a re immediate reaction type thing, even though I don't condone it, but you know, here we are, um, you know, in August now, and, you know, we've still got some of this stuff going on with the rioting and the looting and stuff like that. So um, that's where that's where I have pause. Yeah. And I would say, Randy, I think that, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree why, you know, that people should, they may feel like they're validated in doing that. I disagree um, yeah. with that. But I think what's another important thing that's happening is you had people coming out protesting, you know, here in Houston and other places for legitimate change. And, you know, the circumstances really brought it to the forefront and, you know, by and large, I think people were on board with that. And it has now been almost entirely overshadowed by people doing the things that they're doing, you know, in Portland, Minneapolis, you know, it's been happening in Arizona, 
it's been going on in Austin, Texas, right, where they're just destroying public property. And quite frankly, they've kind of undermined, you know, the momentum that people had going to, you know, really bring the issues to the forefront. And they're just destroying property, right? And I think the people that are doing that now, three months later, are really ignorant of what is going on. I think that they're just out there. I can't, you know, presume to say why they're doing it one reason or another, but they really undermined, you know, the, the good that there was to be had um, from, you know, the circumstances that we, we encountered back in May and a little bit earlier in Kentucky, right? I mean, it's been largely undermined and everyone's just focused on the violence and um, that movement, I would say, has been in some ways tarnished, right? And people have kind of shied away from, you know, perhaps getting involved, maybe not necessarily by protesting, but, you know, financially doing things. And and so I think that um, it detracts from the good that there was to be had as well. Well, the only thing I'll say about that is I, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I do think there is an aspect of media coverage to that. Cause oh, sure. Yeah, I, I don't agree with that. Like, which, you know, yeah, if you watch more left-leaning news sources, you don't even know most of that's going on. Uh, if it is, you know, I don't know. And it seems like if you watch, you know, Fox News, more right-leaning coverage, I mean, that was all their argument, even when things were peaceful and there was good momentum. I think they're trying to intentionally have that overshadow things. So I think some of it is messaging, too, but... Yeah. yeah, I guess yeah, that's no, why definitely I have to be careful, a, period. Yeah, for sure. Definitely a distractor. Definitely something to pull someone's attention away from, you know, what the real issue is. And that, you know, goes along the same, you know, lines as, you know, Black Lives Matter versus Blue Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter. You know, it, it turns into this other topic that, like, you know, we're not even discussing and, you know, just to your point, you know, a lot heavily driven, I think, by the media, um, you just get into the spin zone and turn into this us versus them type mentality when, you know, a lot of, and most of the time we're all on the same team here. And so I think that's a good segue into kind of what's happened um, as a result of some of these riots and protests um, is the defunding of some local police departments. And so um, we've seen this in certain areas of the country. Um, and, you know, maybe just to clarify defunding, that does not mean like um, shutting down. Um, that just means they're not going to get um, as much or um, I guess ultimately any money, um, you know, from their um, local governments. And so, and that's, that, I mean, that's, that's what's happening with, um, you know, the U.S. military, right? Part of that money is being defunded for the wall. We'll talk about that later. I mean, that's not something that's like super uncommon, but I think it kind of gets in the spin zone. But I think it is worth kind of talking about the funding of the, the police departments, what we think the impact of that will be. Um, Joe, is this a good thing? Is this bad? Does do, Will we see results? Of defunding the police? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I mean, no, because I don't think it'll ever happen to a significant degree. So no, yeah. <laughs> I think it should to an extent. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't think 
I don't think it will to a significant degree. But yeah, I have no problem with defunding police. I think we're in general as a nation way over militarized and there's no need for that. I think everyone should be for it. Uh, to me, the point to which we are militarized waters down all of you conservatives' glorious Second Amendment rights. That's, that's not on the outline tonight, Joe, so we won't go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> I, I know you don't like talking about individuals, but I don't own a gun and you do. so That's um, right. I do. Hey, don't, be, don't be outing anybody either. I don't out you guys for the stuff you, you may or may not own. <laughs> it's a trick. Don't make I'm allegations. Being, don't make any allegations. But I'm being serious. I mean, I'm not joking, and I believe it. I mean, I think for the Second Amendment and its rights to have any meaning, I mean, it's ridiculous to think that a well-organized militia could do anything even against a local police department at this point. I mean, <laughs> they've got tanks. You know, yeah, that's like, it, with their tanks. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, maybe. in terms of, uh, you know, the – tools available to local police departments i don't think i i don't believe that local police departments should be permitted to um, have anything that is not available um you know without permits or licenses to the general public yeah i i, I to me that is wrong right i yeah. i'm not and i think that you know there's a exceptions obviously for the military that you know they can have those sorts of things um but um to me um they don't need those things and anybody that says well what about for rioting i mean that's what the national guards for you call the national guard in those guys have the armored vehicles you know and and if that level of response is needed then you know that there's there's already um organization or an institution in place for that right that's what the national guards for um, and so, but yeah, I 100% agree with Joe on this one that um, there is no place in any police department for them to have anything that's not available to you, me, or I, to, or yeah. to, to any of us. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I agree with that. I mean, I, I've, I've always, it's, it's, I don't want to say disrespectful, but it's like, I'm not, um, you know, I, I didn't serve in the military, but it's like you got these police officers that look like they're like, you know, members of the army or like the Navy or something. It's like with their gear that they have, it's like, what? why do we need this? Like, yeah, yeah. like they literally have tanks in some police departments and like camo and stuff like that. And it's like, I can understand maybe like the undercover, like um SWAT team maybe having something camouflage but like I mean what are they trying to hide from they're in the <laughs> middle of downtown Portland or you know <laughs> like I don't I, I think it blurs the line because the, the underlying principles of our country you know the the military does not get involved in internal affairs right and I, I mean yeah. that truly sets us apart from other places in, of the world right I mean Joe's yeah. lived abroad and I've lived abroad that is not the case. And in some instances, it can be scary, right? But they don't get involved, right? The National Guard does. But again, that's where their responsibilities fall is different than, you know, the active duty armed forces, right? Yeah. And so I don't think, and actually the Secretary of Defense came out and said that he also does not think that 
local police departments, sheriff's departments, state police, whatever, you know, they're called, you know, in whatever state they're in, that's, he doesn't think that's appropriate. And I agree, it's not appropriate, right? We don't need the image or, you know, we don't need to be like sending that image to the world and to the citizens like, hey, the army is coming out after you if you protest, right? I don't, I mean, if they want to wear all blue or all black or whatever, right? It should not yeah. look like, you know, the service members do that. I mean, one, it's just yeah. completely crazy. They're in the middle of the street in, you know, the city, like what are fatigues going to do? Yeah, yeah. no, no, yeah. I agree. All right, so, so with the whole George Floyd thing, um, maybe like the point of this is to, to move forward, right? better to better have equality um you know eliminate police brutality eliminate you know at least at least systemic or at least slow down or stop prevent any more systemic racism and change what we know in place and just um you know create just general elimination of racism so have we you get i know it's only been a couple months right but like do you guys think we're seeing social change do you think we're seeing a change in the way people are thinking um just about how they view one another um, and um, just from a, a more of a race point of view. I don't know. What do you think, Randy? Why don't you lead us off with this one? Yeah. So, I mean, I would say yes. Um, pretty unequivocally. I think people are definitely like tuned in, locked in. I mean, is the world changed? No. I mean, I think that it's a process, right? We're only, um, you know, a couple months after, like, you know, I don't want to call it, um, I'll just call it a major event, um, that kind of struck the country, but I definitely see change in at least the conversations I've had with certain people. I see, um, effort, you know, from the company that we work for, I see more effort from just, you know, people I wouldn't know, like, um, that really cared speaking up, not that I like, judge people like oh does he even care about this issue but like you know, as people just coming out of nowhere speaking about stuff um now i think the issue or what we don't want to happen is um you know everyone just kind of forget about it and get back to status quo because i think that's what's happened in the past is i don't think it's an issue of you know people not caring or anything like that if people have gotten comfortable with the current circumstances in my opinion and you know like oh that's just that's just what it's like, right? I mean, like, um, you know, I've shared before, like, you know, just dealing with racism as growing up and, you know, you just kind of get in this mindset of just like, well, this is how it is. Instead of being like, no, like we can get better. And the only way it's gonna get better is if we make it better, right? Just like if anything else, like dishes aren't gonna get done unless you clean them, you know? These miles aren't gonna get run unless you run them. You know, this work ain't gonna get done unless you get it done. So I think it is up to us to, um, work to get things done, but I do think I've seen a change. Um, but that's just in my perspective in my circles. Like, so I don't know, you know, you guys, you know, both Caucasian males, I don't know if you've seen any change um, in the circles that you run around with or just in your own individual um, viewpoints on some of these issues. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it seems like there's been some individual change and definitely, you know, like some discussions have been had that I would say historically have not been had, um, which I think either way is a good thing. Um, I don't know. In terms of like lasting change, I don't know. I think we probably need to 
see some election results and have some time, you know, to see um, if that will translate into, you know, policy or uh, any sort of institutional change. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think it, it seems like there's been, you know, at least conversations are being had that haven't before. Yeah. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, so I, I mean, I think that uh, <clears throat> there's definitely, you know, it's at the forefront of everyone's mind. And I think there are conversations that are being started and being had that I will say our generation has not had. Um, I think that obviously um, the people that have, you know, come before us, um, you know, are grandfathers, grandmothers, even for some of us, maybe our parents, you know, had uh, these conversations and, you know, obviously legislatively made changes. Um, But I definitely think that, you know, for people our age, it's not something that uh, it's not, it's not an issue or um, it's not um, something that we've really addressed or had to address or, you know, we haven't really been told by what is happening that there's still things that need to change and progress to be made. Um, I think that the tricky part is um, the institutions that we have, I think that the institutions are good to the extent that the individuals that are within them are good people, right? So if we have racist individuals holding public office, um, obviously I don't think that justice, for example, would be served very well um, if there are, you know, just unbiased individuals holding positions. I think that, you know, justice is obviously going to be better served. Um, And so I think that the tricky part for us is I, I feel like you know, the generations before us, by and large, and I'm not saying that more changes can't be made, but from an institutional perspective, really, you know, brought the bacon home, if you will, and really made the change. And now we have to kind of make cultural and societal changes. And I feel like that is harder than legislative changes. Yeah, um, that's, that, that's my view. I, I, I think that you know, more, more can be done. No question about it as a nation in terms of laws and what have you, but we really are at a point where culturally and societally changes have to be addressed. And, um, and a, a certain degree of that is accountability on all parties. And when you start talking to people about accountability, right, it, nobody likes to be talked to about that. And that's what makes it difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It's more like undercover, you know, I would say nowadays, right. Or what we've been facing with, there aren't like laws in place. Like there were like, you know, back in the day where, you know, we couldn't go to the same school or drink from the same water fountain or go to the same church and stuff like that. Right. I mean, it's more, um, you know, either deeply rooted in, you know, some sort of like gerrymandering or some sort of like, you know, law that's just not, it's not blatantly racist, right? Like, but it, you know, more significantly impacts 
certain individuals, right? And so there's ways that we can work on that. And, you know, not going to get into a discussion on it if it's intentional or not, but the results are, you know, we see kind of negative impacts of some of the laws. I think, Joe, maybe to your point about changing some legislation, but I think it's also um, just individual circles, right? Like, um, you know, not clearly sure what you meant, Joe, but like, kind of conversations that are being had that maybe aren't being had anymore. Maybe certain jokes people may have heard, you know, you may not be hearing them anymore, you know, stuff like that. And that's what I think, you know, it's going to have to be almost a grassroots movement to a certain extent. Like, yeah, we need legislative change, but at the same time, you know, we got to keep having these types of conversations. If we hear, you know, something that's wrong, we got to call it out. Right. Um, you know, we've heard about silence, being acceptance so if we're not going to speak up and say something that's on any anything we don't think is right right like we've got to speak up or nothing's going to change so i do think we're yeah. moving in the right direction i think we still got to keep moving but um you know I'm, I'm happy at least that um you know we're seeing some change from these such unfortunate circumstances we've seen over the past few years yep okay so chris you talked about um, bias. And so, um, you know, just from the judicial standpoint. And so most people may remember the 2013 um, uh, bombing that occurred at the Boston Marathon. So I'm an avid runner. I've got a lot of friends that, um, you know, been to Boston. Um, I know some people that actually were at that race. Um, and so um, that that has come back to the surface in the news lately because, um, the individual um, who kind of masterminded the whole bombing, um, his oh, uh, judge survivor. recently overturned. The survivor, right? The, the individual that survived. Yeah, the, the other guy passed, right? Um, so anyways, the judge uh, basically overturned uh, his death sentence. And so uh, to be clear, you know, still convicted, uh, the judge has made it clear that he's still going to spend the rest of his life in jail, um, there was just, um, I guess, new evidence or um, more discussion on if the jurors actually had a bias or not to give him a fair trial. And so that's kind of being revisited right now. And so I think that kind of brings up a broader discussion of the death penalty, uh, just in general, because I feel like I've heard a lot of back and forth on, like, you know, uh, why that really matters too much, like he's going to be in jail or it's a big deal that he's um, not getting the death penalty now. Um, you know, more from yeah, almost more of a uh, philosophical slash even more of a religion perspective, you know, do we need the death penalty? Is that, is that right or wrong? Um, interested to know both of you guys thoughts on that. And I'll of course uh, I'll let you guys know my perspective as well. Uh, I can go first. I don't know. I, in general, I disagree with the death penalty. Uh, this case in particular, I, I'm a little torn on because uh, he is convicted, right? And the, yeah. I mean, the whole the whole argument was he didn't get a right to an unbiased jury because yep. the trial was held in Boston and it's impossible to get someone who's unbiased there. I don't know. Yep. To me, it, at this point, it's just kind of like a legal boondoggle now. Right. Um, <laughs> that's just 
wasting time and money. Um, but at the same time, you know, I want everyone to be guaranteed their rights. And I think, you know, it starts when you let rights slide on people, it's easy to let them slide on. And then that, you know, goes to a broader, uh, you know, then it's easier to let them slide the next time. So I don't know. I, my kind of gut reaction is like, this is stupid. Uh, just kill the guy and let's move on. But I also disagree with the death penalty too. So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of torn on this one. Chris, what do you think, man? Um, well, I definitely agree with Joe's last statement that this is stupid and let's kill the guy. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the the guy in question, him and his brother, built a couple bombs, took them to a, a gathering of a, a large group of people, and you know, set them right in the middle. Right? I mean, it killed a little a little boy and a couple of their individuals, and and may and maimed. I don't even know how many people. Um, and uh, honestly, there's no place in a, in our society for people like that and uh i think that the death penalty is appropriate um for crimes of that nature um i think that uh, obviously you know you get caught with some weed i you're not like i don't think you should get the death penalty and i definitely don't think that you should go to jail for 10 years right um but when you you're talking about people that um, you know, practiced or executed acts of terrorism in this country. Um, when you're talking about um, rapists and murderers, I mean, I, I honestly, for what they have committed, to me, that seems like a measured and appropriate response. Um, and I think that in terms of, you know, I, th I a lot of people have an issue with, um, you know, when you have instances and there have been instances of when a innocent person is wrongly convicted. Um, I think especially in this case, there are no questions about that. Um, in terms of like addressing the biased uh, jury, um, I mean, I really don't think that it would have made a whole lot of difference um, if they had held the trial anywhere else yeah maybe he might have had a prayer in california just because that place is so <laughs> jacked up but newsflash um, like americans don't like terrorists yeah, killing right. americans <laughs> like, it's not right. really a boston thing yeah it's not it's not a boston thing right i mean that's almost like saying if any of the 9-11 guys survived and they tried them in New York, it would have been different if they tried them in Texas or in North Dakota. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it, he was a terrorist. They killed innocent people. And it's, it's a boondoggle. And, and quite frankly, um, the people helping him get off honestly should be ashamed of themselves. But. <laughs> topic for another just another day i guess but um i do i do believe that the death penalty is appropriate um for certain crimes and in this instance terrorism is one of those crimes so chris that doesn't that doesn't contradict or go against your faith at all um uh no, no i it, it definitely it definitely does not i mean 
um, you know, my faith, if I, you know, break a commandment, isn't going to sentence me to death, right? I mean, but um, uh, our, our faith is um, among the principles of, of my faith, uh, a member of the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints um, is, you know, we believe in being subject to, to magistrates and government officials and into the laws of, you know, wherever we live, whether, you know, I'm, I believe in obeying the law where I live here in the United States and any other member of the church, whether they're in any country in South America, Africa, Europe, wherever, you know, that is a tenant of the faith is that you uh, um, sustain and uphold the laws of, you know, where you live. Um, and uh, he, he broke the law, right? And our justice system um, has laid out penalties for when you break the law. And in this instance, for terrorism, for example, I mean, the death penalty is, is there. Um, and so there's, there's nothing yeah. contrary to my faith that, you know, interferes with uh, justice, justice being served. Yeah, so, I mean, we share that same, I'll call it tenet, if you will, um, about, you know, obeying the laws of the land, if you will. Um, you know, my perspective on it's a little different. Um, I do think, I think there's a distinction between obeying the laws and, um, you know, believing it's the right law and trying to change it. Um, with, with something like the death penalty, um, you know, I wrestle with this one um, kind of a lot because uh, I think it's a complicated issue. I think, you know, we're talking about like criminal justice system, um, that's where I, I kind of have pause with, with that sentence. You know, I like, yeah, it, it's what the law is right now in certain states, um, you know, but I don't know if it's right. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's nothing that, um, you know, we can do about the individuals that were lost in this event or any other event. Um, I almost think, um, you know, you see a lot of these people other who, than see justice that's served, right? Well, not necessarily. I mean, it, this is, I mean, the life sentence is, is, is justice, right? I mean, it may not be the, the punishment that I guess some people want. Um, but I don't see how that's not, you know, quote unquote justice. Um, now you see people who, um, want to escape, um, prison, if you will, right? Like, you know, uh, it's almost a totally different topic, but um, Jeff Epstein, right? You know, committed suicide. He's not the only example. You, you hear a lot of just people who uh, you know, they committed crime and then they allegedly <laughs> committed suicide. Let's. That's a very important point when you're talking about that particular case. We we only have evidence that he committed suicide. There may be other conspiracy theory stuff out there, but we can we can talk more about that later. Um, yeah, obviously, no, I haven't wait. finished the documentary then, Randy. You should finish it. <laughs> I have not finished it, no. I it's not, not just conspiracy theory stuff. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Sorry to interrupt. No, 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 you're good. Um, but point being is people will kill themselves, like, before they go to jail, right? Or, you know, something like that. So, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know what would be worse, right? You know, but I think there is something to, like, suffering through and, and learning through your experience, right? Like, um, I just don't know, like, if just killing the person is even, like, more, um, like, 
even a worse penalty, right? You think about torture, for instance, right? And this is, you know, you get tortured in jail, but, you know, in, in uh, war crimes, right? You could just take someone out. But, like, what that would be kind of like the easy way out, right? Like, I mean, they have to, ex- you know, experience the suffering that, you know, comes with that. And maybe they don't care, right? And so I think it, it all depends on how one values their life. If one doesn't value their life, then a death sentence doesn't really mean much to them, right? So I don't know how that's a, a worse penalty. So that that's where I take pause with the death penalty. I, I don't think it does. It just doesn't line up with the values of my faith in general. I, I same thing with you, Chris. I mean, I'm not going to go like pull a guy out of a chair because I have to obey the laws of the land, but similar to like something like abortion, right? Like I don't think that's right. That's the law. Right. But I'm still going to fight, um, to get that changed, right? Because I don't agree with that. It doesn't line up with my morals and values. So that that's my take on that, um, and you know how I feel about it. All right. Well, how do we how do we want to close it out then? I'm assuming you don't want to do the mystery uh, seeds. Um, mystery like, seeds. Just don't plant any, for God's sake. <laughs> Just good Lord. China, China, in addition to sending us the Kung flu, now they're sending us mysterious packages filled with mysterious seeds. Some people have taken it upon themselves to plant said seeds. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just Holy. say that that is really close to Darwin Award material <laughs> just without the end result being death, at least at this point. I don't yeah, know. not yet. Yeah, who knows yeah. what those seeds are, so maybe that could be the end result. Yeah, I want to leave my house at some point eventually in my lifetime, so for God's sakes, keep the seeds in the bag. Yeah, I just don't understand. Like, you just get these seeds, you don't know who they're from. Like, oh, I'm just going to go plant them real quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's widespread advice issued telling you, please don't plant them, don't do anything with them until we know what they are. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. No, good, good stuff. Yeah. All right, that's the perfect ending. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was fun. Uh, thanks again for everyone for checking out the podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Yep. Later. See ya.